0: Welcome to We The People with Umer Khan and listeners, uh, today I have a follow-up of my earlier conversation in relation to sexual abuse in context of religious institutions and religious leaders. It deemed appropriate that instead of just me talking to you or me presenting one side of uh, things or facts or information, I get someone on board who has worked in this context, uh, who has worked with uh, real individuals. So that is why I wanted to bring in uh, Dordana.
1: So hi everyone, uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Um, my name is Dordana Ahmed, and um, just to provide some background uh, of my background, my, um, I've been in the social work field for about uh, 15 years. And when I initially started off uh, working in this field, I worked at a children's shelter. And this was for very young children for up to six years old. And I worked there for about three years. And the children came from different backgrounds and they were um, abused children, mostly sexually abused, or um, there was domestic violence in the family. So they... Seen physical abuse, they'd been through it. So all kinds of different spectrum in domestic violence field and sexual abuse field. Then, um, after I worked there for a while, I moved to a domestic violence shelter program and I worked there for a long time. so so I've seen um, children and women. Who have been abused and I've worked with them very closely for a long time so that's my background and I worked in two different states California and Texas so I do have a, a variety of experience in this field so that's a little bit about me
0: all right. Thank you, Durdana. Now, in terms of uh, the two cases, um, I yes. spoke about uh, Imam Ziaul Sheikh, uh, who was in Irving. And then we've had Muhammad Omar Ali. He was in Houston. And mm-hmm. they have been in position of leadership, in position of uh, a teacher, and yet it transpired where they took advantage of the situation and the individual's uh, mental and spiritual uh, circumstance. So starting from there, in that context, how do those individuals and the parents involved there keep still have that trust in those institutions and in the leadership from a social perspective?
1: Okay, so... Um... First of all, I'd like to say that uh, normally in any abusive situation, sexual or, or um, you know, physical violence or religious abuse or emotional abuse, we generally see a dynamic of power and control. So it's, it's all, for the perpetrator, it's all about uh, gaining control over someone controlling someone and gaining power over them. So it's, it's not, it's never about even in a domestic violence situation, it's never about um, sexual gratification or anything like that. It's always about power. So this individual wants power over someone and they control their behavior. So that's the basic concept of uh, abuse. And, um, so, in the religious uh, concept that you're talking about in the in the cases that you've presented, I would say that yes, there these individuals. The primary motivation in in these situations would be power and control because that's what we've seen forever. And about the trust situation, yes. Um, so historically and culturally, we have uh, we really. Um, put people who are in religious situations, in religious institutions, we put, put, we put them above reproach, right? I mean, if you, I'm from Pakistan, so I can speak to that. Um, in our culture, we have, you know, traditionally we used to have um, mullahs coming to the house to teach ch- children Quran, Right. And um, it's only in in Western society and outside of Pakistan that we see children going to the masjid to learn uh, the Quran and learn about religion. In Pakistan, in India, I'm sure, in Bangladesh, in in our home countries, we generally have someone coming to the house who will teach the children Quran and teach them about religion. And they learn about all of that from the family as well, obviously. we we put them on a pedestal. We put these teachers as above reproach. We put them, uh, we trust them implicitly. These are men of God. They will teach us about our religion because uh, religion, I mean, is a, is a big part of our lives. So that's basically the cultural background that we're coming from. And that is where... We, I think, in a lot of ways, we put too much trust in in these people. And when something happens and a child comes to us and tells us, this is what happened in the masjid today, or so-and-so did this to me, we are very reluctant to believe our children. And we are very, because these people generally in masjid across across the world, we um, the people who are involved are people, you know, even in the board of the masjid and people who work there are well-known people, well-respected people. And, um, and we've seen, and it's not just in Islam, we've seen this, what happened in the Catholic Church, right? So we've seen, uh, we have people in general seem to have implicit trust in uh, in religious leaders, and they believe that they can do no wrong. So that's, that's where we're coming from, unfortunately.
0: Right, and now also, before I ask my next question, how do we have that conversation with our children from that social perspective here outside of Pakistan? Because the conversation is gonna be different in Pakistan, well, whether it's going to be different, whether it should be different—that's another question. So, how do we go about talking to our kids here in this community environment?
1: I think it's very important uh, to teach our children right from wrong in the sense of who can who can do what to you. I mean, I think it, I mean I've seen it so many times. I've seen it. Uh, I mean, even with doctors and we hear so many horror stories, even of doctors abusing women and abusing children. We have, we've heard of, we've all heard of these, those cases. So from a very young age to uh, teach children and talk to them very openly about their bodies, about who can touch them, who cannot touch them, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. It's very important for for not just us, but even for people back home to address those questions and to talk to children about these things openly, because we have, as a culture, we hide these things, we don't talk about them, we don't discuss them with our children. and especially anything um, about their bodies, it's I don't we have a culture of shame, and we and we never discuss, sex uh, with our children we don't teach them how to approach it we don't teach them what's right how they should uh, view it and it's always considered very shameful and we have to get rid of that stigma we have to talk to our children we have to train them and tell them about stranger danger and normally i mean from what i've seen and what all the studies show People who abuse children, people who groom the children are mostly, and also not just children, even women, they're mostly known to the victim. So it's stranger rape and stranger uh, sexual abuse is not that common. It mostly comes from within the family or within the uh, close social network of the victim. we also have to we because in our culture we uh, we teach our children to respect and trust adults to be very um, submissive to adults and we teach them about batamizi and being uh, you know very tamizdar and respectful of adults and that's all fine we need to maintain our culture and maintain those uh, values but we also need to teach our children about danger. We need to teach them about what is wrong and what is right and what, can, what is permissible and what is not permissible, how far someone can go with them, how far um, and what needs to be stopped right away and what needs to be reported right away.
0: Right, and you bring up a very good point in terms of uh, reporting. Now, let me ask you before that is, we put these religious leaders on a pedestal, and uh, even right. going back in time, Umar, he was asked in open uh, session by uh, a common man, hey, why? how were you able to have your size stitched with one sheet when uh, your body size clearly needs two sheets? And right. anyone in the masses was able to stand up and ask him that question, and yet here, in this time, here or there, back home in Pakistan, right we think twice, oh my God, what is the community going to think about me if I'm going to question the imam or question the board of governors or the leadership?
1: Right. So So is there any
0: right way or is there you just go about it and uh, you just uh, ask that point blank question?
1: So that is the whole problem that there is no accountability. That is the main fundamental point that we need to make sure that Everyone is accountable for what they do. And uh, the problem with children coming home and saying so-and-so did this, we shroud it in everything is just covered up, everything is shut up, everything is hidden. Because we are so ashamed and we always... Feel that this is bringing uh, dishonor to our family. If someone finds out something happened to my child, how are they going to perceive me? And it's it also has a lot to do with um, with our culture of uh, our toxic uh, concept of uh, manhood. And so the father immediately goes into okay. So I wasn't able to protect my family, and it's uh, it's he feels almost as if he's been castrated, right? So it's his honor, his power, his uh, his standing in the community bring, uh, being brought into question. And with the religious leader, it's, uh, again, normally these people are well-respected, well-known in the community, and uh, people fear uh, going out and talking about it openly because They won't be believed, either they won't be believed or, you know, again, the shame comes in. The whole thing is that we need to be able to discuss these things openly. We need to be able to talk about it, bring it out in the open, report it, hold people accountable. Everything needs to be transparent. So this also goes back to um, a lot of it comes from um, the uh, Islamophobia. And that's also a big part of it because people say, okay, so if the masjid is, uh, uh, if we open up our masjid and local authorities are coming in and police is coming in now, in the general community, we will be perceived as, you know, we're adding uh, pedophilia to our list of sins of terrorism and all those things. So it's, it's a very complex question. It's a complex situation but i think we need to um grab the bull by the horns and talk about it openly and bring it out into the open so that we can protect our children and protect our community at the same time
0: right and holding the bull by the horn uh, it goes back to knowing and realizing that preventive measures are always going to be of less serious nature than the corrective uh, aspects of what we do after the fact, because we're also talking about not just one uh, life, we're talking about a family that is going to be destroyed, especially looking at an individual who's going to grow up to be a man or a woman, and then start a family and all the baggage that goes with that. So talking about that, If something is brought to me, I am, let's say, um, a leader in a community and something is brought to my attention. From a social context, from a group context, how do I go about it? How do I go about it prudently and smartly?
1: There is no way of not disturbing the ecosystem. You have to, first of all, whoever is being accused needs to be put on leave or suspended for a while. Uh, so that they they cannot interact with the children or the person again. They need to be put on, maybe they can uh, be put on leave, right? Not suspended, just taken away from that environment. A full investigation needs to be conducted and find it, you need to get to the bottom of it. There are, in sexual abuse, there are always signs and we just don't know what we're looking for, right? So. First of all, we also need to educate parents on what to look out for. If they're sending their children to, uh, to the masjid or any, any uh, you know, even if they're going for sports and they ha- they're interacting with the coaches, they need to, the parents need to know the signs of any kind of abuse. They need to be on the lookout constantly. They need to be vigilant and they need to take the child's words seriously. If the child reports something, they need to take it it seriously. In the context of uh, you being in a position of power and something being brought to your attention, you need to take it seriously. You need to investigate. You need to look into the matter and not sneak the person out of the country. You need to um, have it investigated talk to the children, talk to their friends, talk to the parents, talk to everyone around it, find out what's going on. And obviously there may be some uh, cases that are not true, but we still need to investigate. We need to find out what's going on because we need to protect the other children. I had a case um, when I was working at the domestic violence shelter, we had someone, I had someone come to me and she reported that she had been raped the night before by someone who had been in, who was part of the masjid. He wasn't an imam, but he was part of the administration. So as a social worker, I sent her straight to the hospital to get a rape kit done. I And I reported the matter to the police because that was my job. That was what I had to do. And um, so... In uh, in the case of any person of power who has the ability to do something about it, they need to make sure that they don't sit and hide it. They need to do something about it. They need to find out what's going on. They need to find out if the report is valid, if it's true. And if it is, if it turns out to be true, then the perpetrator needs to be brought to justice. That's the only way to keep trust and to restore trust in, in the institution.
0: I'm glad you talk about the institution, the institution of family also, because in this case, uh, by not doing anything, we're also violating the institution of family that we're showing our kids that uh, you're going to tell us something. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to look into it because I don't think you're being truthful to me. And then I've lost that credibility that my son's not going to come to me thinking, oh, you know what? He's just not going to do anything. So I might as well not say anything.
1: And that is so scary for me as a mom as a as a community member because um, that child you are damaging that child and and the child's psyche for for their life because now something has been done to them that is not right and they were ignored they were not validated their feelings their emotions their everything was not validated. It wasn't taken seriously. So can you imagine how worthless that child feels and how worthless that child will feel for the rest of their lives? And um, they will grow up feeling that. And um, that has a whole range of psychological uh, impact that um, that will last forever and will impact their relationships. And I'm sure that, I mean, that's a whole different topic that I'm sure you will address. But, um, so this is something that really needs to be taken very seriously. You have to believe your children. You have to to show them that you support them. You have to show them that you have their back.
0: Now, I'm gonna piggyback on this thought that to support your kids and show, that, show them that we're there, to what extent is this so-called rationale of, uh, well, this was our fate. It had to happen, so it happened to me or my kid. How much has that rationale become part of our lives?
1: Okay, so I would say that uh, in the domestic violence field, that is a huge part of, um, of our thinking when girls come to their parents and say okay my husband is abusing me a lot of parents say now you're married this is your fate you have to put up with it you have to deal with it blah 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 so that is a huge part of it but it should never ever i mean i'm not saying that's right but that's our thinking that's our culture but in in this context i don't think it's so much a part of um, of our thinking i think shame is more uh, that comes in and the parents' authority and the parents' um, ability to, not, uh, to protect their child is what comes in more. So the parents think that we have failed in, especially the father, um, thinks that they have failed in their role to protect their child. So maybe the child is lying, maybe it's not true, we'll brush it under the rug, we won't think about it, we won't talk about it, and it'll magically go away. So um, I don't think um, in this context, this is our fate is as important, or is uh, as much a part of our thinking, but it's more of, of, you know, our machismo, our, manhood that's been violated and so we want to not think about it
0: also in your experience uh, to what extent you've seen where how have we tried to channel this education or this awareness uh, just even the abuse awareness or sexual abuse in religious institutes awareness how much have we tried to do something about it on a collective scale on an institutional scale I'm talking from leadership standpoint. If you have seen any, at all,
1: I um, I would say we have done nothing, absolutely nothing, um, in the in the domestic violence field. When we used to try and talk to the imams and train them uh, for domestic violence training, uh, they were extremely resistant. And I would say that in this uh, in this area of sexual abuse in in our massage in our institutions, I think we have done less than nothing. We need to provide trainings to parents, talks to the parents about what to look out for. We need to uh, educate our children, and um, so they can be aware of what's right and what's wrong, and how far, People can go with them. How far they can take liberties with them, and I really haven't seen any any efforts to uh, to address this issue. I once uh, provided. Uh, I once went to a youth group of girls, and I spoke to them about domestic violence and sexual abuse, and and the girls were completely completely unaware, and they they didn't know anything about it. They, um, they were scared uh, to hear all these things, but um, I would say that we, we don't talk enough about it. We don't give them enough education, in, enough information about this at all.
0: So, and I'm glad you brought it to you talking to those girls and their reaction. So how do we, on an individual scale, and on a community scale, move the conversation from hashtag me too, to something say like not again or not anymore or stop it. How do we cross that bridge?
1: Well, on an individual basis, I think parents, uh, first of all, parents will need t- uh, trainings and teachings and talks and information about all of this. And, um, So we need to educate our parents. And once the parents have enough information, they need on, uh, you know, in every household, this should be discussed. Every parent needs to discuss these things with their children and uh, to talk to them about it. And, you know, everyone knows about stranger danger, but how, and, and that's good. The children need to know about that, but that is statistically so far, um, you know, it's a way low than uh, than abuse by people who know the family within the family, people who are teachers, people who are in positions of power with the children. So, so that is a much more uh, important conversation that none of us are having, and. Uh, we really need to do that and uh, at, on a community level i think we can do these presentations and masks we can do we can talk about it at um wherever we go you know it's it's a conversation that's just not happening and we need to start that conversation there's a facebook page that i've recently discovered uh and it's uh, based from it's coming from pakistan and I find that to be such an amazing um, page because they are really providing uh, so much information and they're also highlighting cases of abuse that are happening currently in Pakistan. So, um, so we need those kinds of things on our social media. We need it plastered all over because we need to be thinking about these things and we need to be talking about these things.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely going to check that out. And also, I encourage everyone who's listening to check that out. To bring it home, I want to ask you this question. Or how many times have you seen mental health professionals engaged within the community? Because I have only come across two psychologists that are of Pakistani or slash Indian origin here in North Texas. And I approached one of them. Uh, That gentleman did not want to talk about anything along these lines or previous topics that I've done. And second, second one I never heard from. So what has been your experience in terms of mental health experts within our community and how forthcoming have they been?
1: So um, at the place I worked at in, in Texas, uh, we had psy- um, psychologists who were excellent. But um, the problem is not that the, with, our, um, with our therapists, the problem wasn't that they weren't willing to talk. The problem was the community wasn't willing to receive. So we had the opposite problem. And because we were really pushing to uh, go to Masajid, to go to schools, to go anywhere that would listen and talk about these issues. And the community wasn't, the the Masajid were very resistant. The community didn't want to talk about it because unfortunately, that's our mindset. If we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. So with us, that was the problem and I think a lot of times are, first of all, we do have a lot of um, Pakistani and Indian origin psychologists, but um, they may not be so willing to talk about it because, again, the community doesn't want to listen. They And anyone who talks about these topics is branded. And they say, okay, they're a troublemaker. If they're talking openly about these things, they're shameless they're you know all kinds of nonsense and people don't want to associate with these kinds of people who are very vocal and who are very visible and uh, they are shunned so that might be what you that you saw that might be something you know because they've had bad experiences so that's why they might not be willing to come up and talk about these things it's, it's a very, our our culture is very um, secretive and our culture is very filled with shame and we just don't want to address these things at all. And we want to hide our heads and we're, I mean, I've said it before, we are a community of ostriches. We want to hide our heads and think that, okay, everything is fine. Nothing's happening. We're all perfect. and. Again, Islamophobia also comes into it because they want, don't want to put, uh, you know, highlight these things in our community because they don't want to add to our list of sins. And that is, I think we are failing our community, we're failing our children, we're failing our women by not addressing these issues in our community.
0: Very rightly put, and yes, we have to have that integrated approach uh, across communities Even interfaith approach, uh, as you mentioned, it's not just, uh, I mean, the Catholic Church, is, uh, our Islamic centers, and of course, some other uh, communities also, that we need to address this collectively. Because today it's us, tomorrow it might be my neighbor of a different uh, faith, of a different religion, or a different um, ethnic uh, origin. So a few takeaways, uh, what I have gathered from our conversation, we have got to own the conversation. within the confines of our homes, because we have to start that within ourselves and then go outside of our homes, uh, talk about it. Because the more we talk about it, less the stigma associated with it would bear down on us. And then Mm -hmm. once we start doing that, then we've got to realize that we don't have to worry about the culture because culture is secondary to our faith. Everyone yeah. needs to be held accountable, be it a six year old or a 16 or a 46 year old. So, anything you'd like to share with the listeners uh, as we part way?
1: Okay, so my takeaway really is I mean, I would like to say that this is something that we, as you rightly say, this is not something that we should. Uh, Put in the context of culture, culture is less important than religion. Our religion teaches us that everyone is accountable. People would go to the prophet and ask him questions directly. No one is above the law. No one should be able to get away with harming your child. And children, if a child is abused the impacts carry on for generations because the child grows up with a lot of issues that will impact their life and their lives and their children's lives after that. So you're basically perpetuating a cycle of violence and a cycle of abuse by ignoring these kinds of issues. It's very important that we address them. It's very important that we protect our children. It's very important that we protect our community because it's the community the whole community is impacted by these kinds of acts if anyone wants to contact me they can email me and my email address is d-u-r-d-a-n-a-a at gmail.com and um, I could maybe you know if you want to contact me and um, have some issues I could put you in touch with people who can help and we, um, we all need to pull together and look out for one another. And that's a very important point that I want to stress for everyone. We are all responsible for each other's children and each other's safety and each other's lives. And we have to pull together.
0: Thank you very much, Dordana. Listeners, uh, everything she has said, she has said based on her experience, her education, her working with different individuals from different backgrounds and different environments uh, and uh, recipients of different uh, contexts. So uh, if anyone does have any questions please do reach out and uh, see how she be able to help thank you for listening i will also continue this conversation next time in uh, my next episode i will have as uh, my guest a professional psychotherapist or you can also say a professional psychologist as i venture into this uh, conversation from a mental health perspective do let me know of any feedback that i can improve everything with this once again is Umer Khan segment. Of we the people, keep listening, and I'll see you guys next time.